Dear Young Rocker is a production of iHeartRadio and Double Elvis. Dear Young Rocker, starting your freshman year of high school is exciting for some, terrifying for others, and some mixture of the two for most of us. Some kids will see starting high school as an opportunity to start doing all the unsupervised grown-up things that they only heard about in whispered rumors in middle school. But if you were one of those kids who was whispered about, you might be ready to graduate out of there before you even start. I distinctly remember the pain in my stomach that didn't leave me for nearly all of freshman year. It came with the thought of just how long four years of days would be. Days that each felt like a thousand dragging hours of just trying to survive as unnoticed as physically possible until I could bust out of the doors and run home. To help this goal, I had abandoned the alternative look I'd developed in middle school and had been dressing as uninteresting as I could instead. I sat in front in every class just so I could hear the second hand of the clock tick as I watched it. I kept my focus glued to those big old metal clocks, mentally willing the minute hand to move faster toward the mark that would mean freedom. By the end of the day, my whole body felt like a rock from the tension. I couldn't even go to the bathroom sometimes until I got home. And yet, at the very tail end of that year, just when I had accepted I would somehow be even more of a no one than in middle school, everything changed. I overheard the long-haired boys in my freshman English class talking about their band and the bass player they needed. Suddenly, that second hand I'd been staring at for eight months slowed down so much it actually seemed to stop completely. I looked away from the clock and directly at another person's face for the first time all year. The biggest change in my life up until that point was about to take place. If I could only utter a few words out loud, it was the moment of truth. A couple weeks later, I was back to wearing my Doc Martens and band shirts, blasting Nirvana in my mini-disc player, and sauntering up to take my seat at my lunch table of bandmates. Although those four years of high school now seem short in retrospect, even now in my 30s, I still have recurring nightmares of having to go back to high school, walking up and down endless fluorescent-lit corridors, hiding from everyone, and feeling like my time in that building will never, ever end. I recently met another person whose freshman year existence was also changed drastically and marked in part by Doc Martens. And I'm really starting to think there's something magical about putting on a pair of combat boots. Mia Barron is guitar player and leader of the epic cheerleader-themed grunge band Pom Pom Squad. She survived some pretty wicked bullying in Orlando, Florida as a young rocker, but she lived to tell and scream the tale. Here's Mia's story.
young rocker. You are 14 and it's the last day of summer. A sunny, humid day in Orlando, Florida. The kind of day that makes everything smell like wet crabgrass and burning plastic. It's evening and you are sitting at the desk in your bedroom, leaning your elbows on the smooth white wood. The golden hour light pours through the slats of your blinds in ribbons across your windowsill, painting all your most treasured trinkets in its evening glow. Your mason jar full of seashells and band pins, your pink box of Polaroids, an Alice in Wonderland anime figure that you got on a family trip to Japan, your CD copies of Pinkerton and the Blue Album, your tarot cards, and a tiny velvet book titled The Witch's Spellbook. You're hunching over your journal, writing furiously. Navy ink smears across the side of your right hand as you pull up the sleeves of your oversized sweatshirt, swatting your shoulder-length black straightened hair out of your eyes. You write, I don't fit anywhere, in your messy cursive script. A wave of sobs crashes over you as you pull your knees into your chest, tugging at the legs of your plaid pajama pants. Tomorrow, you start your freshman year of high school, and you couldn't be dreading it more. You moved to Orlando a few years ago from Novi, Michigan, a town named after a mistake. It was once a train stop, number VI, as in the Roman numeral 6, in Metro Detroit. For all the Michiganders, it sits underneath the lifeline of the left palm around the thumb muscles. At some point in history, someone had pronounced it Novi, and I suppose it stuck. Your memories of Novi are colored mostly by pain, incessant bullying at the hands of kids in your school, and the early realizations that you are different from them, not just in the way you think and behave, but also in the color of your skin, your religion, and in the way your body looks. You, your brother, and your sister had all experienced it. And once your father lost his job, it was a big part of what prompted the move to Florida in the first place. In Orlando, you finished one semester of seventh grade before being bullied out again. About a month into the school year, one of the popular girls, Rachel, a white Abercrombie and Fitch-clad brunette with a chilly, heart-shaped face, invited you to her birthday party. As everyone sat, drying off on the side of her private backyard pool playing truth or dare, you were dared to dance on the pole of an umbrella table like a stripper. You blushed in private panic, searching for an answer that could hide your discomfort but still make you seem chill and unbothered. But in the awkward silence of your hesitation, one of the other girls took your dare instead. Everyone else at the party whooped and cheered and laughed as she twirled around the pole in a way she'd clearly learned from watching R-rated movies at friends' houses. That was so embarrassing, Rachel said, readjusting her aqua-colored bikini. Mia, you're like a white girl trapped in a black girl's body. Like an Oreo, one of the other girls chimed in. And she's like a black girl trapped in a white girl's body, Rachel added, gesturing to the girl still gyrating on the pole. Then everyone laughed. You tried to laugh too, to pretend it was funny, but you went home feeling like your stomach had balled into a fist. 
The next day, when Rachel's cutting brown eyes landed on you in the hallway, you knew that you'd blown it. You missed your chance to be cool. The Oreo title followed for the rest of the semester as Rachel and her friends continued to up the ante. Name-calling turned into cyberbullying, and cyberbullying escalated into threats of physical violence. On the day before the end of the semester break, you were walking into English class when one of the girls from the party, Roxanne, shoulder-checked you, knocking your books out of your hand on the way to her desk. She and another girl, Skye, sat behind you. During class, they'd take turns leaning over to whisper in your ear, Hey, said Roxanne, we're gonna fight you. Then Sky took over. After school, we're gonna beat the shit out of you. They were giggling, but you knew they weren't joking. Your heart started to race. When school ended, you hid until your mom came to pick you up. When it was time to go back to school a few weeks later, you told your parents you couldn't do it. The year of homeschooling that followed was near bliss. Waking up whenever you wanted and finishing entire school days in a matter of hours was idyllic but lonely. Bravely, if not idiotically, you told your parents you wanted to go back to real school. Fearing for your safety, private school arose as the best option, and here you were on the eve of the first day of high school. The first few weeks are a haze. Every day you get ready for school by putting on your uniform, an unflattering polo and pleated skirt. You thought wearing a uniform would make it easier to blend in. But between classes, you're constantly fidgeting with your clothes as your developing body tightens them around you. Your chest and your hips filled out at the end of the summer, and now your uniforms fit too small. You feel the eyes of male students and teachers on you, so you wear two sports bras to bind your chest or tie a sweatshirt around your waist even though most days it's around 80 degrees. Despite your best efforts, you're still dress-coded often, which means you're asked to leave class and change into something less revealing, someone else's dirty clothes pulled from the lost and found. You shuffle uncomfortably in and out of friend groups, but nothing sticks. Eventually, you decide to just eat lunch alone by the lake. You take solace in your journal, the closest thing you have to a friend pouring all your stress and fear and anger and self-hatred into its pages. Often, the highlight of the day is the 30-minute drive to and from school. Your parents have a subscription to Sirius through your dad's new job, and you've begun to memorize the rotations of your favorite radio stations. Your parents have immaculate taste in music. Your dad loves golden age hip-hop, artists like Eric B. and Rakim, and A Tribe Called Quest. Your mom loves the gothy new wave of the Smiths and the Cure. Together, their music taste spun into a record collection that had everything from Sade to Nora Jones, the Gorillas, the Talking Heads, Lupe Fiasco, Death Cab for Cutie, Blondie, New Order, Regina Spector, and Public Enemy. As a child, you listened to their music taste mostly in secret. Your family used to take road trips, sometimes to places that were 24 hours apart, in a silver Explorer van where the back seat flattened out to form a bed. In the morning, they'd play the standard childhood fair, Disney movie soundtracks or the Wiggles, but at night, as they'd take turns driving through darkened streets, they'd play the good music. You were five years old when you discovered that if you could stay awake, 
You could be inducted into a secret world of new, unbelievable sounds. You will never forget the first time you heard Prince. The song Lolita came bursting out of the car speakers, warm and electric. He laid in the backseat of the van under a blanket next to your sister and brother and looked up through the van window at the dark sky. With no sign of road maps or street lamps, it looked as though you were driving through oblivion. Ever since, listening to music in cars has felt formative, mystical even. So these drives to and from school are your final moments to be vulnerable before you have to put your armor on and start another school day. At least each new song gives you plenty of fodder for sketching and scribbling lyrics into the margins of your syllabi. On a rainy, dark school night towards the end of the first semester, a particular feeling overtakes you as you sit at your desk, pen in hand. A familiar sinking. The kind of malaise that swallows up whole hours into nothingness, blankly staring at the words in front of you. You cross your arms over the notebook page and your head falls forward into them. Your tears seem to come from nowhere, making dull pattering sounds against the paper. Numbness. Your vision paints a pallor of gray over everything. Your iTunes study playlist of familiar radio indie rock starts to sound like a long strain of stinging frequencies. You turn it off. Then, you start to hear the low hum of a memory. You close your eyes and see a starless sky, a moving car. You hear your mother in the front seat driving into the early hours of the morning. Her voice is quiet and clear against a pulling melody, a spacious, sparkling guitar. A feeling you were too young to understand then, but now harmonizes with your sadness like colors melting together to form a new shade. You hadn't heard the Smiths, so please, please, please let me get what I want since you were a kid. It's the simultaneous melancholy and melodrama of Morrissey's voice, how it manages to be both tongue-in-cheek and completely earnest, that awakens something unnameable, a new kind of comfort, like an empathetic specter resting a hand on your shoulder. You play the song over and over and over again, until eventually, your mom cracks open your bedroom door. Are you listening to the Smiths, she says. You can sense her excitement and pride. For the next few days, you and your mom talk about the Smiths on and off. She shows you the t-shirt she got when she saw them play in New York as a teenager. It's white with the album art from The Queen is Dead printed on it, aged to perfection. On the car rides to and from school, you battle your sister for the front seat so that you can have control of the radio and so that you can sit next to your mom and compare which new songs you love and which you hate. These sharing sessions soon become cultural crash courses. I've never shown you Heathers, your mom says one night after school. It's movies like Heathers, Clueless, and The Breakfast Club that fuel a further desire to rebel against the oppression of your school uniform. Soon, you notice that the dress code has a notable exception for shoes, dictating only that they contain no vulgar language or imagery. With this in mind, you ask your parents for your first ever pair of Doc Martens. 
Feeling the footfalls of your heavy shoes beneath you, the stomp through the high school hallways becomes exponentially more fun. In between classes, you pop in your earbuds and listen to whatever album you've just discovered. The Pixies, Belle and Sebastian, The Magnetic Fields, The Mountain Goats. In classes, you slyly Google the lyrics on your phone and write your favorites into your journal. The days aren't good, but they are better. For the first time in your life, you feel cool and you love it. You keep that feeling close to your chest like a secret, and little do you know, the pursuit of this feeling will lead to a period of music discovery that will change your life forever. One day, clicking from link to link scavenging for new music, a habit that has become a reward for hours of studying, you happen upon the style rookie, Tavi Gevinson's fashion-turned-lifestyle blog. It's an aesthetic wonderland filled with handwritten playlists, carefully curated mood boards, and the diaristic narration of a teenager only a year older than yourself. It was through the style rookie that you began to learn about feminism, and it was through feminism that you began to learn about the riot girl movement. Sitting alone in your bedroom, eyes wide from the blue light of the computer screen, the driving beat and thick guitars of a rebel girl by Bikini Kill surge from the speakers. Anger, divine feminine anger beamed down from the heavens onto your 14-year-old ears. Anger you'd never felt allowed to express, let alone seen be expressed. You're angry at your school's dress code. It wasn't your fault that you had the body you did, so why should you have to suffer consequences for it? You're angry at the isolation you feel as a non-white person at a predominantly white school. You're angry that you feel no comfort being told that things will get better eventually. Because that means that the only foreseeable way out of this liminal space is to see it through, and that sucks. The anger you felt has a mouthpiece, and the demons you're fighting can be mollified by the voices of these women and girls. This discovery is thrilling, and it's yours. You want to learn everything you can about Riot Girl following endless corridors into new subjects, praises, criticisms, subgenres. You write the names of your favorite new discoveries in your notebook. Bikini Kill, Bratmobile, Heavens to Betsy, eventually landing on Free Kitten, PJ Harvey, and Hole. Hole is a game changer. The lyrics are unlike anything you've heard before, evocative, unusual, and subversive. You love the clothes that Courtney wears, the soft, dainty colors and the way they somehow both embody and criticize the white beauty standard you feel eternally locked out of. The way she sings, someday you will ache like I ache, like it's a kiss off, a wish, and a curse. The only people you know in bands are boys. You have a friend, Jared, who's a drummer in a hardcore band. 
He's 16, works at Starbucks, and he's the first person you know who has a tattoo. He's the son of your mom's friend and has his own car. So you're entrusted to go to his shows at small, grimy venues and hookah bars as long as he drives you there and back. This is your first introduction into the music scene in Orlando. Your first experience at a local show was on the last day of school when his band was returning from a DIY tour around the East Coast. You wear your docks, a pair of ripped fishnets, and a plaid skirt you stole from the high school theater department when you were in the fall school play. The show is at a coffee shop that turns into a venue by night, a compact place that's longer than it is wide, but looks even smaller packed wall to wall with sweaty hardcore dudes thrashing and crowd surfing. You can't help but notice that the small population of non-men at the show are sitting on the backs of the couches on the far wall, their necks outstretched, looking over the crowd at the raised platform that could loosely be called a stage. They're also mostly girlfriends of the guys in the band and their friends. The coffee shop has a big window in the front that the band stands with their backs turned to, like a wonky storefront display. Next to the window is the front door, left open so that the music pours onto the front patio where you stand, watching through the glass. The feeling of exhilaration is tempered by something else, something grotesque and difficult to name. Watching a display of men with sweat-covered hair, grinning and jeering and losing themselves in the music, and then, occasionally, when the light hits just right, catching a glimpse of yourself staring back from the outside door. He'd started playing guitar the year before at summer camp, but stuck mostly to learning covers of songs you liked, looking up the tabs for Blister in the Sun or Sweater Song on Ultimate Guitar, and playing them for your parents if you felt particularly brave. You'd been singing since you were a kid, but you weren't interested in joining the school choir, and auditioning for the musicals gave you anxiety. I think I want to start a band, is the first thing you write the morning after that show. When I imagine it, my hair is long and hangs down in front of me, my guitar is decorated with stickers and Polaroids, the crowd is insane, I throw my head forward and play the last chord. The music stops. Our breath is heavy, the whole band is tired, but we keep going because it's amazing. There are some things you'll be glad to know about the future. You take guitar playing more seriously from then on, and that girl who plays drums, the one you worked up the courage to talk to in English class, has been your best friend for nearly 10 years. You do one of your first performances together at the school talent show sophomore year. That's when you play electric guitar on stage for the first time. You've been doing it ever since. No, seriously. The idea you had about starting a punk band where you dress like a cheerleader, it totally works out. In fact, you get paid to do that now. And it's brought you some of the most amazing experiences and relationships you've ever had. I wish I could give you advice for starting the band sooner. You will begin to want this more than anything but I want you to trust that it will all happen exactly as it's supposed to. You do leave Orlando, 
but you'll grow to appreciate it later in life. You do move to New York. In fact, that's where I'm writing this letter from now. Now, the bad news. There will be a lot of waiting. But the time spent waiting is just time you should spend working on the things you love. Everything in life is about practice. I hate practicing personally, which is why you need to start doing it. Practice guitar every other night. Just do it. Trust me on this. You'll thank yourself later. Don't rip out your journal pages. Even if you think what you're writing is dumb, write it down anyway. I know you get really frustrated with yourself, but remember that the only way out is through. FYI, I still find lyrics of yours that I love, even now. I cherish those journals immensely. Keep nurturing your ideas because they're really, really good. I'm still in awe of your creativity and your mind. You are smarter and more self-aware than you give yourself credit for. Continue questioning authority and calling out things you see that you think are wrong. Do not let that sense become dull. Your gut will be your greatest guide. Really, remember that. Your gut. Oh, and one more thing. People will tell you over and over that artists have to suffer for their art. This is a lie. Your mental illness is a chemical imbalance. It's not what makes you an artist. You're a musician and an artist because you are. Practice saying that until it sounds like the truth because it is. It's in your bones. There is nothing noble or romantic about suffering if you don't have to. I still think of you every day, how ambitious your dreams were and how you cared so much it made your chest ache. Sometimes I wonder whether or not you'd be proud of me, but I think you would be. Actually, I know you will be. I love you. Mia, thank you so much for sharing your story and rehashing some of that trauma. I think it will mean a lot for some listeners, but I also really hope it means something for you. I can't stress enough how important I think talking to our younger selves is and letting them retell their stories through us. Reimagining the toughest scenes of our lives with the feeling that your older self was actually there for you, next to you, rooting for you and holding your hand while you went through it, that's incredibly powerful for all versions of yourself. You know how we tell ourselves under our breath, I'll get through this, I know I will, in order to keep going when things are tough, even if it feels like a huge lie in the moment? I think when we say that, we're actually talking to our future selves. We're saying, you got me, right? You're good now, up there where you are. And I truly believe that the future self hears it and that it's important to reach back and let those past selves know they're going to be okay. Even if once again, it feels like we're just talking into a void. Of course, time travel isn't real in the physical world, but I think it is possible within our own minds. The more your current self knows that your future self is looking out for you and cares about you, the more supported you can feel in the present 
and let go of the moments in your life when the people around you weren't there for you like they should have been. Because you were. So thanks again, Mia, for showing us how it's done so beautifully. This is what she had to say about her experience writing to her younger self. My experience of talking to my younger self was really emotional when you grow up. (laughs) Um, It's easy to forget the specific details of what you went through. And even for someone like me, who is an obsessive documentarian, I had a lot of memories of painful, formative experiences that haven't really come up for me in a long time. And honestly, it was kind of beautiful at the end of the day, because I really think that my younger self would be super proud of me. I'm super proud of me. And whenever I feel a pride in myself, I do kind of feel like that's you know, 14, 15, 16-year-old Mia, like, smiling at me from the past. Mia's band, Pom Pom Squad, is awesome. Please give their music a listen and support this artist and pay for it if you like it. Like nearly every artist on this podcast, Pom Pom Squad had to cancel a tour and record release plans. That's months and months of income for people. Keep that in mind next time you stream an album and really like it. Peace out, rockers. Next time on Dear Young Rocker, Lyra Mondal of the band Sweeping Promises joins me to tell her story of her early attempts at finding her musical voice during her youth in Arkansas. And we talk about the specific longings of only children. Dear Young Rocker comes to you from Double Elvis and iHeartRadio. It's executive produced by Jake Brennan of Disgraceland. It was created and is produced, written, and hosted by me, Chelsea Erson. I also created the theme song. Colin Fleming helps with sound design and mixing, and Auto Clamor provides editing and production assistance. If you enjoy this podcast, please, please let me know by sending in a review on Apple Podcasts. You can also hang out with me virtually by following at Dear Young Rocker on Instagram. Please do not hesitate to send me a message there and also follow Double Elvis for news about all of our new cool music podcasts. And if you'd like some snazzy DYR buttons or a t-shirt, go to doubleelvis.com shop. As always, the best thing you could ever do for this show is to share it with someone who you think would like it or just everyone you've ever met. Thanks, rockers. Dear Young Rocker is a production of iHeartRadio and Double Elvis Productions. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.